Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today, I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. Father Lewis, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning, Tom. Father, aren't you excited about the outline? I have uh, very, you know, very much put together and just presented to you to study and pray about. Oh, very densely packed. I'm, densely I'm packed. ready. Yes. <laughs> you know, actually, uh, it was uh, today's program is based on my going to Mass with you on Thursday. And uh, it, it got me reflecting right there at Mass. And uh, hopefully it was prayerful reflection. It was actually connected to your homily, but we'll talk more about this in just a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Lewis. Our scripture passage comes from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. For the love of Christ impels us once we have come to the conviction that one died for all. Therefore, all have died. He indeed died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Consequently, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him so no, uh, we know him so no longer. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Good and gracious God, we ask you with your blessing to strengthen all of us to be agents of your grace and reconciliation out in the world. Bless uh, Tom and uh, myself this morning as we speak your word and all of our listeners who are listening. And in this way, all of us may be drawn closer to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, fellow. So let's let's keep that passage open for a minute. I know that uh, you just... Uh... You, you just put away your scripture, your portable scripture. There we go. There. That is, uh, I, I have to say, my like my favorite book in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And 2 Corinthians 5 in that section is, again, in, in, it, it's, it, it's hard to overstate the importance of that passage. Uh, you know, what jumps out at me are the, like, the love of Christ impels us, right? There's... There's a guy that is moving. There's a guy who is on, like, he can't be stopped. He won't be stopped. And, and, and there's a reason why. He's a new creation. It's not just, oh, I believe the faith and I'm better off because of it. No, that I'm, I'm brand new. And he talked about the old way of looking at things. That's all gone away. I, I have an entirely different new way of looking at the things that 
I would have looked at before living in this world. And in fact, this is all connected to Christ and what Christ has done for us. He knew no sin, came among us and became sin so that we could become the very, I'm going to use the word holiness, the very righteousness of, of God in him. I mean, that is an incredible summary of not so much the gospel, but of the, let's call it the impact of the gospel in the life of a Catholic Christian disciple of Jesus. I, comment on that. It, um, this passage is a great summary, as you said, of summary, I would say, of um, of the fullness of what it means to respond to the gift of God in Christ Jesus. When we perceive and understand and accept what God has done for us in Jesus, reconciled us to himself, uh, made us a new creation, saved us and, re and redeemed us for heaven, then this is, the impact in these verses is, is how, therefore, we should respond. We cannot help it but share the good news and to not just say what the good news is, but, but why it's good and why we should care, all in these verses. And um, I think that's all packed in this, this short passage, yeah. All right, so I'm going to be a bit disruptive now and say, if that's true, if someone believes and, and has responded after the manner of St. Paul, if Catholics believed and responded after the manner of St. Saint, Saint Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 20, if a Catholic that does that, what does that Catholic look like? How does that Catholic show up? All right, that's my entry point for being at Mass with you uh, on the morning that we're recording this, on this Thursday morning. So did you notice I was late? <laughs> I saw you look up at me. Well, I heard the door close. I was yeah. wondering who was going on. <laughs> yes, I was I was a couple of minutes late because I was dropping off my daughter at a pickup point for her to go to school. Okay. So I wasn't late for any, uh, you know, oh, I was being lazy. No, I had to drop her off to the ride. But making it to Mass. And being at Mass, this, this idea kind of just bubbled up inside my heart. It was, wait a minute. I'm at Mass. I'm at Mass where the sacrifice by which Christ redeemed the world is being made present. Wait a minute. There's the tabernacle. Jesus Christ, the, the risen, living, glorified Lord who has all power, who created the world and all of us in it, who uh, loves us and, and has healing and blessings and and, and gifts ready to pour into our lives and it and has invited us to share in this very work of redemption and and to uh, to receive him in in holy communion it's like thanks be to god there was still some seats left in the very very back i mean i i almost had to stand in the vestibule right <laughs> and i thought okay this is what we profess is happening at mass and that second corinthians chapter 5 beginning at verse 14 the love of christ impels us we're new creations we don't look at things the same way and we have the opportunity to to come into this exchange where christ is going to reconcile us to himself remove sin from us and give us holiness so that we can live towards our eternal goal life with god forever in heaven how does that translate into the day-to-day -day life of a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Oh, simply put, why isn't the church absolutely packed 
even if we don't want to say 24-7 or whenever it's open, why isn't it absolutely packed by Catholics at every Mass? Yeah. It, it, this is, that, that's, that, that's something that should shock us. What should shock us is that we're not shocked by the fact that there were 27 people at Mass. Mm-hmm. That, that should be shocking to us. What do you think? I think so too. And, and um, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to share all that. And, and um, I guess I'm, you know, deep down mortified that I'm not um, more shocked just hearing this, you know, I look out at the people and I'm, I'm in, in my thoughts making excuses for the people. Well, you know, there's about a foot of snow on the ground and not all the roads are cleared. And I'm just, I'm just kind of going through the Rolodex because a lot of the regulars at the weekday masses weren't there this morning. So, you know, there I am trying to make excuses for the folks who aren't there. But yeah, it's, um, it, you know, if we give it some thought, it, it is shocking. It should be shocking because don't we believe that what we believe is really real? And I'd have to be, well, I'm not sure if I can answer that in the affirmative for myself, let alone for everyone else. If if I really believe that what I believe is really real, I, I don't understand why I'm not, you know, bursting out of the church right after Mass has ended and just going up and down the streets, knocking on the door saying, where were you? Don't you know what just happened? Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. And, you know, maybe maybe I should be. Now I'm trying to direct those energies to when I go visit the kids to try to share that with them, the people already in my orbit. But yeah, that I don't have that uh, demonstration of holy zeal that clear, clearly St. Paul does in this passage here. Um, well, you know, he was he he made further progress along the way of uh, growth and faith, I guess, than where I am right now. Well, Father, you have uh, you just hit number two. What am I talking about? I have four reasons why that church is not full. Now, there might be more, and I'll give you a chance to add more, but I want to discuss four possible reasons why that church is not full at every Mass. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Father, right. You got number two. Hey, all right. Number two is we don't believe it. You know, Catholics say they believe it, but they don't because of the discrepancy between what they actually say and how they actually live. Yeah. All right. So the first one, the first one, don't get shocked, is, well, the reason why that church isn't full is that it's not true. Mm. It's not true that becoming uh, baptized is about being a new creation. It's just not true that the love of Christ is so real that it'll impel us to see life differently, live life differently, that it's just not true what the Catholic Church teaches and professes and celebrates at Mass. All right. So now we have to come up with an answer for that. Mm-hmm. We have to come up with an answer for, well, you, how can you say it's true, all that you say about the Mass, if in fact this is what actually is the outcome? This is what's actually happening. And this brings me to a question. <laughs> um, when you were in the seminary, did you happen to have a class uh, on what's called the credibility of revelation? I, I wasn't called that, but yeah, we had like on fundamental around. theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so on revelation. Yeah. yeah so, uh, do you, so the thing that I liked about the credibility of revelation was it explored the answers to the question. It's just not true. Well, what would you marshal as an alter- like a, a, a presentation that says, I can't argue with the fact that you only have 27 people showing up for daily mass when you say it's this, the, the most important thing happening on earth right now mm-hmm. is the mass, 
right? Uh, the the famous quote about the the church the the world could exist more easily without the sun than without the mass, yeah. right? Um, and and so it seems to be existing fine. At with if, if the mass is that important, then you'd have it full. So if it's not, maybe it's just not true. Yeah. Okay, so what would you propose to someone? I just had a conversation with someone. I said they were having a, they were struggling, and I said. Look, you've talked about all these different things you're doing, and I support you in those. Have you gone to Jesus? Have you turned to Jesus and asked him for help? And her response was, I just don't believe it's true. I just don't believe that it's true. It's just, why would that lead to any kind of positive impact, especially if I don't believe it? So in the credibility of Revelation, there are certain things that are used as they call the preambles of faith, preambula fide. Do you remember this? <laughs> preambles of faith. And it has to do with things that would bolster a sense of obstacles being removed to people considering what's happening at mass is really that important. Are you tracking with me, Father? Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. So um, I'll just I'll give you a for instance. One of the things that we could talk about right now, and I'll have you talk about, is the reality of Eucharistic miracles. That, okay, you're telling me that it's that important, but the people are not showing it. I need other evidence. What evidence would you point to to say that it is credible to believe that this, in fact, the Mass is what it is, and it's a place for disciples who are a new creation and who are impelled by the love of Christ, that they would come? Mm -hmm. So, what would be some evidence that you would look to or you would present to someone, a Catholic who's saying, it's just not that important, and the people not showing up is, is a sign of that? Well, you mentioned Eucharistic miracles. There's well-documented cases of this. So, you know, what is a Eucharistic miracle? There's there's a consecrated host um, that, for whatever reason, um, prompted by whatever circumstance, um, becomes, you know, physical flesh or starts to bleed you know physical blood not just the not just the blood of christ in the appearance of wine but the blood of christ in the appearance of blood and um and what should we do about this um like how what's going on here and so these are studied by by doctors scientists and so on like you know there's the uh the most recent one that's pretty famous happened in argentina and buenos aires and it's not just any flesh, it is a particular tissue in the human heart. And it's not just any blood, it's a specific blood type, AB positive. And they go down the line about what all this means. And that other recent instances where they were able to study these things scientifically, it's not just AB positive here and O negative there, it's always AB positive. And it's not just like heart tissue here and li you know, liver tissue over here, it's always heart tissue. And so the consistency and the in the regular pattern of this. Now we we've tried to tell that story. My my actually my school principal and I he began his whole, I'm your new principal and this is back to school night. Come to your classrooms, meet your teachers. This is what schools do every at the start of every school year. And after he did his brief introduction about himself, he told that Eucharistic miracle story of Buenos Aires. What school principal does this? Even in Catholic schools, but he did it, and. Um, Trying to convey, like, because that's real, because we're looking at the living heart tissue of Jesus Christ, and that was pierced for us on the cross and still is alive today, because that's real, this is why we do what we do. And um, and so I think that's compelling 
But I also already have a disposition to believe because I already believe this. I think that there's still a number of people who glaze over, aren't hearing it, and and that's another challenge. Yeah, I, I love this because yes, in AB positive is the universal donor. Yeah, right. The universal receiver. Universal receiver. Right. Okay. Thank you. So that that idea that hey, this is Christ. He's yeah. he's available for everyone. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so many other aspects, um, and we can touch upon those because I think that in in many instances there was this connection between the um, the like the, the state of faith of the priest and of the community or the time in which they were living and the appearance of this a Eucharistic miracle, right? Like in Lanciano, the yeah. priest was doubting. Yeah. And and the, the, the community was was lagging. And all of a sudden now this miracle happens and there's this revival, right? Yeah. This incredible revival of faith. Right. So, so much more to say about that. But we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about why is our church empty? And I have four reasons that we're exploring together. The first one is that, uh, you know, that um, uh, people, that it's not real. And and they've concluded that it's not real. And as a result of that, it's not that important. And Eucharistic miracles are one thing to point to, to help maybe remove that sense of like resistance that this isn't real. The other, uh, the other, when you credibility of revelation are the lives of saints. Yeah. Right. So that having a saint is a great magnet to mass. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, you think uh, who can you think of uh, saints, saintly priests who celebrated the mass who ended up becoming just magnets Mm. where the church was always filled. Yeah. Well, St. John Vianney, the pinnacle example, Um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen would draw people by the thousands, whether he was on TV or radio or in person and, um there's a Padre Pio. Padre Pio. Well, when he wasn't suppressed by his own order to keep it quiet. Yeah, but yeah. when he was able to even then still hearing confessions, the confession lines are, you know, literally a mile long uh, in some instances. So um Yeah, I, and, I remember the story of Padre Pio. Like people would wait two hours outside the church just to get a seat at Mass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like can that like, like that's the standard. Like the saints are canonized. Canon means the standard. Yeah. Right? The standard Christian life is the saintly life. And maybe our churches aren't empty because we lack saints. I'm not just putting it at you, Father. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, you can get the miracle, right? Do you want the miracle or do you want the stigmata? I mean, look, what, do you want that radical holiness or do you want St. Joseph Cupertino? I could fly. His masses were full, <laughs> right? And the ecstatic, ah, 
<laughs> fly to the back of the church. And, you know, there are all those testimonies, mm-hmm. right? At his canonization that, uh, oh no, I was there. I saw it. And artists taking a picture of it and all of that. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. That'd be <laughs> stunning. So instead of St. Mary has to suffer me. <laughs> have you ever been at a mass with a stigmatist? No. So I did. Okay. Yeah. In Rome, it was uh, a priest that supposedly was the inheritor of the stigmata of St. Padre Pio. Oh, wow. And so uh, several seminarians uh, and I, when we were there, took a bus out to, to go to the church and we just got lost. So we just got off the bus and started walking down a road. And we walked down this road for, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes hit the end of the road and it was just a dead end. And there were these bushes there, but there was this slight little trail like through the bushes. And we're like, let's keep walking. So we went through the bushes into the woods, through this trail. And we walked through this trail for a while, come out the other side. And we're on one side of a highway on the other side of this highway, the Audubon, right? So it's this super highway in, uh, in Italy. Uh, on the other side of the highway is the church where the priest is. And guess what there is at this place, this spot on the highway is a bridge, Oh, <laughs> a, br- a, wa- a bridge to walk over the highway. Now, there's no road. It's this path mm-hmm. that led up to the edge of the highway. And there's a bridge. We walked over the bridge. We walked up. We got finally into the church. What was the part of the mass we were at when we walked into the church? The elevation. The elevation. Uh, yeah. And we walked in and he was elevating the host and just fall to our knees. And he just was still for, I don't know, a minute, just to there, like wrapped in, you know, I don't know, some, you know, mystical union or whatever, ecstasy. And it was holy. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We had to kneel at the very back entrance of the church. Why? It was packed. It was Full, yeah, that was full, right? So there's, there's my, I'm, I'm flexing. Isn't that a cool story? <laughs> yeah, how God got us there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Totally apart from our like knowing the right way. It was like, no, we got to go, we got to go, and, and God got us there. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I think that, um, so that first reason why the churches are empty is we need saints, mm-hmm. and we need the miraculous to be able to overcome the lethargy i think that holds us back yeah. okay second reason are you ready father oh anything else you want to say about that first reason um well i mean you know the saints you, the examples we use are this the saintliness that's um that's observed in the priest and i would add to that you know that's not, oh well if we have a saintly priest that's great if not well we just plot along well there's always the invitation for each of us, like I prayed at the beginning of the program, for each of us to step up and be counted as an agent of God's grace, you know, respective to our particular vocation. So you, you all think you need your priest to be a saint, and that's true. I need you all in the pews to be saints. There's there's a re- reciprocity there that is attractive to outsiders wanting to come in. I don't know what they got, but I don't got it, and I want it. Mm-hmm. And they see that not just in the priest, because, well, I can't be a priest. I can't get where he's at. But these people beside me, they also seem to enjoy a particular holiness. So all of us need to be saints. Uh, I love what you just said. I don't think I've ever heard a priest say that. Oh, really? Isn't that, isn't that striking? I mean, I've heard priests say quite a bit, 
over the decades. Oh, you know, we're all called to be saints and, and um, I need you to be saints, but not, I need you to be saints because that inspires me to become a saint too. Yeah. That that folks hear that. Uh, I think that that's a critical thing for the lady to hear because it's easy for us to look and complain. Yeah. Does, did you ever experience any of that? I've never heard right. any person complain ever. No, not at St. Mary. <laughs> and, and so there's that sense of saying, listen and fall short. And I can remember this wasn't about a priest. It was about uh, a person in ministry I was helping. And I was like, why doesn't he get it? Why doesn't he get it? Why doesn't he move forward? Why doesn't he step forward? And then I was praying to God and, and I was actually kind of complaining to God. And the Lord, what he prompted in me was this, this Tom, I, you know, what you see so clearly, I gave to you for him. You're the one that's supposed to be bringing this to him. So if you stop complaining and maybe prayed for him more, then he would really actually receive the grace that you've received purely as a gift. And so that for me is my response to complainers. It's like, hey, become holy, become holy yourself. And you know what, you might just stir actually and win graces for your priest, that they would then have a ministry that is more radiant with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So folks, it's on you. It is on you. Okay, that actually brings us to the second. And the second of the four reasons that it was like, okay, reset here, went to mass on Thursday morning, 27 people. Why isn't the church full? If in fact, what really happens there really happens there. So we faced the first objection, which was, well, it's, it's not really happening there. It's just, it's false. No, there is enough evidence out there to say it's true. So it's not that. Okay. Now we come to the second one, which we, you said so well, which is it's true, but do we really believe yeah, it? I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Yeah. So talk a little bit yeah. more about that because I know statistics can be really discouraging around yeah. us. Well, you know, statistics you mentioned, you know, maybe there was, a, I think a couple of years ago, there was a, I think it was a CARA research that pointed out, uh, this is the research that's done by Georgetown, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, that reported that something like two thirds of, of Catholics don't believe in the Eucharist as the real and true presence of Jesus Christ, substantially present in the form of bread and wine, that two thirds don't believe that. Now, and, I think since and, and then, here's the thing. Yeah. It's two. It was thirty percent who are active, Catholics, active Sunday going Catholics, self-identifying, yeah. not the huge crowd, the great masses of Catholics that have stopped practicing and wandered away and are inactive or no longer identifying. They're nuns or duns. Mm-hmm. No, we're talking active Catholics who are coming to church. They don't believe that that's Jesus. Yeah. According to that research. Now, since then, I think there was another research done by the Catholic University of America that that looked at that saying, is it really that bad? So they basically conducted the same survey, but rephrased the question so that so that the uh, high the high theology language is reduced to to um, normal language, but conveys the same truth. And the good news is, is that it's not merely one third who do believe in it. It's closer to two thirds. But that still means there's one third who don't of again Sunday going Catholics. So even the question rephrased more clearly and the survey conducted again, there's still a tremendous substantial portion of Sunday going self-identifying Catholics who don't believe what what we're taught to believe that this is really real. Well, That's it's kind of a, terrifying. It, it's kind of a two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the good news is two thirds of those attending mass 
actually believe they're receiving Jesus. But then the question becomes, so the good news is it's not just 30%. It's as high as 67%. Right. Um, well, where are we the rest of the week? Right. If we really believe that's Jesus and we're receiving Jesus, and we believe that receiving Jesus has an impact, then we're going to go back to Jesus. Yeah. And he is our life. He is everything. He is what we're passionately pursuing. And we want him to passionately be proclaimed in the world. Then we're going to be accessing mass. Yeah. So, all right. So there is still a huge, you call the terrifying, right? Yeah. Let's just say we are not taking a victory lap in the current home when our kids come home and say, I took an exam and I got two thirds rice. <laughs> I got a 67. Let's celebrate. Yeah. Oh, going out for a dessert. Not happening. No. That, that is a fail is what yeah. that is. Mm -hmm. So that's a, again, that's a painful second side of this message. Yeah. All right. So what do we do about that father? What is a way for us to foster a deeper connection between what we profess about the Mass and about Christ and the Eucharist, and how we live in accord with that reality that Jesus is present as Eucharist. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things that that I do that I think are are um, I think they just work. One is, well, okay, so I can preach from the pulpit all I want about the reality of this, and it's sinking into the hearts of several, um, but. That that can be. I if I'm just a one in the crowd, um, it's not as personal. It's not a it's not a directly imp, uh, and personal invitation for me to to step forward in faith and actually say yes, I believe this. And so the two things I try to do is a, if I believe it, I better live it as well. So I'm not just preaching about the importance of praying. I'm actually praying. In fact, I'm you know I'm praying in our adoration chapel, not to be seen necessarily, but I, I like to think it's an added bonus if, as people come and go, they see that their pastor also is in there praying, you know, on his knees at times, or he, you know, they're coming to the church to do whatever, do some cleaning, get uh, communion for the homebound, whatever, and they're seeing me in the church praying. So if I'm preaching this, I better live it. So that's the first thing I do. That that if I'm concerned in the people in the pews, if you're concerned, how come I'm not seeing greater uh, demonstration of faith? Well. Let's look to our own self first. Am I am I actually living this as well? Not just believing it and saying I believe in it, but but letting it infect my life in such a way, uh, affect my life in such a way, or infect, I guess that that it it brings me to my knees, it brings me to church and prayer, even if I can't get to the church for a reason. I'm like it's regular regular discourse with the Lord is happening. So that's the first thing I do is to live it myself, and then second thing to not be satisfied with these kind of conversations, so to speak, when I preach from the pulpit. But am I having these same kind of conversations individually with people, you know, as, as I meet with them so that I can relate with them, the personal witness of how all of this lived reality and how I live faith is affecting me personally. And the fruits of that are love, joy, peace, all these things that St. Paul writes about as the fruits of the spirit. If I'm, you know, if I'm not having those kind of conversations, then there's a missed opportunity to make that personal explicit invitation for someone to join me in, in living that life. So those are two things that I try to do. I like to think they have an effect. Those are two things that all of us can do and, and should be doing. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to summarize with something a priest, I, he would say to people who would like, they were struggling with some issue or whatever, right? Listen, let's call it this specific of, I want to see a greater impact from receiving Christ and at, at, in communion at mass. 
And his simple answer was, just go to adoration every day for 30 days, right? I'm not going to give you big explanations. I'm not going to give you a big, like, litany of things that you're supposed to do. Just go to adoration every day. What that means, folks, is go to the church and sit in front of the tabernacle. And even if you struggle with the idea that Christ is there, just say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm here because Father asked me to be here. I'm not sure you're there. And I'm not sure what difference it's going to make that I'm here, but I'm here. And I'm just going to be here. And I'm going to just see what what you what, whatever you want to do. I'm open. Mm-hmm. All right. And you know what? Actually, I'm not open. <laughs> yeah. I'm not open right now. I'm here to prove that priest wrong. I, I'm here. I'm just I'm here out of raw obedience. Right. And I'm going to just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And like that is that's really cool yeah right isn't that uh, do you like that I you did. can start you can start using that make, make pretend you made it up <laughs> so uh but that idea of saying look I, i'm not going to prove it to you in advance just live it and you'll come to understand it right that's you know what that's a phrase for that is in latin it's obsequium religioso oh it's that religious observance of mind and will that has to do with what what do you do when there's a teaching of the church that you currently disagree with, or at a minimum, you don't understand. Well, there are some moral theologians or some who will say, well, then it's not, you're not being a person of integrity if you do that. Instead, it's, no, these are mysteries of faith. And sometimes the only way that you'll come into a real understanding of them is just by obeying. just by following and doing them. And then that will lead to an understanding that comes later on. And so that's kind of the principle at work here. All right, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to, I'll give you a chance to kind of give me a final comment on this, and then we'll get into the third of the four reasons. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Let's go. Welcome back to the program um, with Father Jeff Lewis. This is Dr. Tom Kern. You're listening to this program. And again, if you're enjoying it, you can always go listen to the Dr. Tom podcast found at mycatholicfaith.org on iTunes, on Spotify, on your favorite podcast platform. So Father Lewis, we're talking about four reasons why the church is empty. Now, none of these are excuses, right? Right. Like uh, Carrie will say to me sometimes, there's no excuse. I said, well, you can at least understand, yeah. right? At least understand what's going on, even if you if it doesn't excuse it. We're trying to understand why only 27 people were at daily mass if we, in fact, actually believe, and it is actually what it the church says it is. And we believe that, of course, but we're trying to understand. Yeah. We're trying to understand, not rationalize away, but understand what is it that holds us back? So we've looked at the first two. The first is it's not real. Okay, we've, we've tackled that one. The second is there's this discrepancy, a lack of integrity between what we believe and how we live. And so the proposal was adoration and just go, just go out of raw obedience for 30 days and watch your life be changed. Yeah. All right. There's a third reason. The third reason is something you referenced at, at your homily uh, this morning. You referenced envy as a particular sin, but I would say it would be the impact of the world, the flesh and the devil, mm-hmm. the impact of the world, the flesh and the devil hold us back from experiencing the richness of what is happening, the majesty of what is happening, the enormity of what is happening at Mass. So I want to propose that to you and say, I think that's probably a reason why the church is empty, is that the world, the flesh, and the devil 
have a grip on us and we are in a level of spiritual bondage and spiritual blindness that we and spiritual lethargy that literally holds us back from having that zeal that St. Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ impels me. Well, you know what? It doesn't. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Well, I think that I think that's absolutely true. In fact, um, I was wondering if this was going to be one of your four because I totally agree with it. In fact, I think a lot of folks, myself included, I'm tempted to this, that I'll excuse it or justify it by compartmentalizing my life. So while I am impelled by the by by the love of Christ to to live, you know, very zealously um, as a Christian, but for one one hour a week on Sunday when I go to Mass. And then I'm all there and I'm all in and maybe coffee donuts afterwards. And then after that, okay, we got the kids sports. We've got the, we got work, we got all these other things. So everything is compartmentalized and compartmentalized. And so, you know, I, I don't want to admit that the, the world, the flesh and the devil are, are keeping me from a, a deeper engagement. So I'll excuse it by saying, well, see, I'm, I'm fully invested here. And I trust that that fuels me for the rest of the week. And then I come back to get my recharge. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you had in mind, if they're related, but I think they are related because people don't want to, there's a, a hesitancy in all of us to just look ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, that there's a sinner standing right there. And I'm, I'm tempted in these ways and we don't want to do that. So I don't want to, I don't want to address the temptation. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm being held back and I'm not really putting up much of a fight. So I'll excuse by saying, well, you know, I do this on one hour a week on Sunday. And um, so I think they are related. Yeah. Compartmentalization of life. Yeah. yeah. So and would you call that the influence of the world or the devil or the flesh or kind of a combination of all of them? Probably a combination of all three. But uh, I think the world and the, and the flesh um, probably are the, the two horses and then, you know, Satan's guiding the chariot. But um, I, in my fleshiness, just uncomfortable uh, in this routine. Okay. And then the world will say, the world's saying all kinds of things. Well, keep your faith private. You don't want to offend. Don't you Don't you know that there's other ways to heaven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, oh, well, I guess it is. I don't want to offend. I don't want to be that guy. And so we let the world influence us. And so that molds the rut that we find just comfortable staying in. And all this, you know, you know, the devil's back there in the chariot, just kind of grinning, saying, yep, these horses are doing exactly what they need to do. So I don't need to really control them at all. So, Father, I'm going to uh, introduce you to St. John of the Cross, a paragraph from Book 3, Chapter 25 All of right. the Ascent of Mount Carmel, okay? And see if this has any, like, he, like, he, full two barrels of the shotgun, boom, here it comes, all right? So I actually talked about this on Thursday, last Thursday, uh, on Sound Insight, uh, but I want you to hear it, and just, he's talking about the way in which when we find joy in the things of this world through our senses, it holds us back from entering into the spiritual riches that the Lord has for us. Okay, let's hear that one last time. When we are too quickly absorbed by and drawn to and find joy in the things of this world that we access through our senses, sight, sound, hearing, smell, touch, taste, right? That those, um, that those senses, when we uh, find joy in, in the things that come from us through those, they actually harm us spiritually. Okay. We hear that and we're like, yeah. And you talked about envy. Okay. Let's hear what he has to say about enjoyment in the touch of soft objects. Right. I mean, 
really? That's a big deal. Like I like wearing comfortable clothes and have a warm room and I enjoy um, just the, the, the sitting on a nice couch and uh, just comfort. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. You ready? Yeah. Get ready. Here we go. Enjoyment in the touch of soft objects foments more numerous and more pernicious kinds of harm and by it, the senses more quickly pervert the spirit and extinguish its strength and vigor. The consequence is the abominable vice of effeminacy or incentives toward it in proportion to this kind of joy. This joy foments lust and makes the spirit unmanly and timid and the senses flattering, honey-mouthed, disposed towards sin and the causing of harm. It pours vain gladness and mirth into the heart. It engenders license of the tongue and freedom of the eyes. It brings out ravishment and stupefaction of the other senses according to the intensity of this appetite. It confounds the judgment, nurturing it on spiritual incipience and stupidity and morally engenders cowardice and inconstancy. And by this darkness of soul and weakness of heart, it makes one fear where there is no reason to fear. This joy sometimes begets the spirit of confusion and unresponsiveness of conscience and spirit, since it seriously debilitates reason and reduces it to such a state that one knows not how either to take counsel or to give it. And it leaves the soul incapable of moral and spiritual blessings as useless as a broken jar. <laughs> All because I want to keep my room at a warm 72 degrees. <laughs> and sleep in a comfortable bed yeah. with my down comforter yeah. and be really nice and safely comfortable and, and have softness mm -hmm. around me, mm -hmm. comfort and ease around me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, was he having a bad day? I, mean, <laughs> I think he just has the keen insight into the brokenness of the human condition that uh, some of these saints do have. And many of us uh, don't have eyes to see that just yet. But Well, and that's going to be my fourth. Uh -huh. My fourth is just how weak we are as human beings. But look at the spiritual harm that is caused by the way of life that is fostered, promoted, sought after, enjoyed and expected as not only acceptable but expected mm -hmm. uh in our today in today's world mm -hmm. right so mother teresa saint teresa of calcutta you know famously said that the condition of prosperity in the western world was a more serious spiritual uh deformity than the condition of the rejected ones whom she picked up dying on the street. Yeah. That from a spiritual perspective, we, in all of our comforts, are in a more seriously threatening, damaging, and broken condition than the dying rejected ones on the streets of Calcutta. Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, you know, on the one hand, um, that's shocking. I live in the Western, you know, culture, <laughs> so it's convicting. But on the other hand, it may, for me, it makes total sense because our senses are so powerful. God made them powerful because this is how we can engage with the world. But the danger is where we choose to let the engagement stop at the senses and not help us to go through the senses and what it teaches us to the, to the deeper things of reality, like the reality of God. And so when I'm surrounded by comforts and good foods and all this other stuff, 
all day, all long, then, um, then um, um, I'm, I'm just desensitized to those deeper things. Whereas the people dying in the streets of Calcutta don't, don't have all of that. They've got nothing left and therefore no blockages to, to see that they, that they are everything to God and nothing to this world after all. You know, I was thinking also that uh, I think it was uh, Flannery O'Connor when she, the, the author who became a, a Catholic, and I guess the story goes when she informed her mother that she was going to become a Catholic, her mother's response was, you mean the religion of the servants or, you know, something like this. And uh, it's interesting that where's the Catholic faith in this country? Where did it come from? It came from the poor in Italy. It came from the poor from, uh, from Spain. It came from the poor of the Hispanic world. It came from the poor of France because they came as the servants of the rich people. The rich people were some, something else, but this is what they had. So maybe in their poverty, they had eyes that could more clearly see and senses that can more clearly engage with the deeper things of reality. And it's interesting that wherever the poorest parts of the world are, that's also where the Catholic Church flourishes the most. Maybe that's why the saints who immediately draw people to deeper faith are the are the, not all, all the saints, but particularly the martyrs. They are suffering torture and death, the opposite of comfort, in witness to something even greater. And that shakes us or should jolt us out of our malaise that, you know, the down comforters in the 72 degree rooms, these are just trinkets of earth. I want what he's got because he's dying for it. And it must be worth it. Yeah. Well, and it's like, again, we say this and it is so contradictory, right? It seems to paradoxical is a better word. Mm. It's paradoxical because it runs completely counter to what we would identify as happiness. Yeah. So have you had any familiarity with Our Lady of Cabejo? The Rwandan apparition. I don't know much about and, her, but I heard. And yeah. Segatasha was. Uh, she was the one who foresaw that the Rwandan genocides were going to happen. Yeah. yeah and right. That was part of her message was, yeah. you know, there's going to be this terrible genocide. Well, you read those two books, the Segatasha, who was the young man associated with the apparitions. And then there were four nuns, or no, four students. They weren't nuns, four students uh, at this Catholic school um, in, in Our Lady of Cabejo. And the stories of that person are amazing. But what is more striking was the way of life of a number of these folks that were involved because they had nothing like living in this mud hut, you know, no electricity. They, they never had to schedule an AAU tournament <laughs> for volleyball or basketball or, or wrestling or they, they didn't have roads, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, paved roads and and all this. And when you heard about their life of faith, how would they listen on tape recorders to talks that were given miles away? And then on Sunday, oh, it was pretty much the whole day given to God. And oh, in the morning we gathered and we sang songs for a couple of hours and then we had mass and then we had a meal and everyone was there. And then afterwards we had this procession and it's just like, man, yeah. on the one hand, from the eyes of the world, they are destitute, mm -hmm. impoverished. They've got nothing. But in the things that matter to God, wow, they're rich. Yeah. They are full. They are overflowing. Okay, now let me ask the question. Would you trade? I asked that to, yeah. right? Would you trade? Would you trade all this? I like to think I would. <laughs> if you were in the moment uh, offering me this, like A or B, which one do you choose? Like, uh, it's, 
awfully cold outside. Uh, I do like my indoor plumbing. I mean, yeah, it's it's challenging. Yeah, yeah. When Mary Grace was in, um, she was in. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Mira, uh, next to Thailand, Myanmar, uh, Myanmar, uh, Myanmar. She was in a place where they were on mission serving like these families that were Buddhist. And she was living in a, in a place that had four walls. They had no mattress. She would sleep on this wooden floor. They had, um, no, uh, no, um, like no refrigerator. They had like a hot plate. And they had no, they had only cold running water from the spigot, right? And they had nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, she could speak from that place and say, it was a huge blessing, right? But you can't, you can't say it in theory. You got to experience it to be able to, before it becomes real. And so I think that one of the great works of the enemy is prosperity lived as a goal and a pursuit rather than as a stewardship, if it's given to us, and something that we would complement, kind of like St. Louis the 14th, right? Didn't he wear a hair shirt? Yeah. Right? It was like, okay, if I've been given this, I'm going to live it, but I'm not going to pursue it like I should get maximum enjoyment from it. Yeah. So, all right, Father, we're up against a break. Back with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. Well, Father, we're kind of rolling through this really fast here, um, but I just think that the world of flesh and the devil are just huge that hold us back from entering into the richness and the majesty of the mass and yeah. what happens at communion. Yeah. All right. The last one is the in the weakness of the human condition. Yeah. Now I'm not talking about like the world of flesh and the devil. Those are the things that attack us. I'm talking about the fallen condition of human nature that we're just weak. Yeah. And God has a solution, but we're just weak. And that's that's why we don't advance, why we don't fast, do penance and pray and and pursue mass the way that we could with more determination. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's exactly right. Jesus said as much to, I mean, there's Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. They are with Jesus in the flesh in his hour of need. He has told them explicitly, stay here and watch and pray. And then he goes over and prays. He comes back and they're sleeping. He says to them the famous line, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I think that's exactly right. If if, if Peter in that moment, our first Pope, St. Peter, if he, if he was weak in the immediate presence of Jesus in the flesh, then, then not to excuse us, but it, it helps us to understand why we are weak. I suspect a lot of the, a lot of Catholics, I know a lot of my parishioners, um, there's probably a combination of all four of these that are at play at different seasons of life, but this one is probably one that pervades them all because myself included, um, you know, if I'm not regularly engaging, it's just easier for me to become weak because I just kind of lose the momentum. I think that's a tremendous wisdom amongst many aspects of tremendous wisdom of the churches is the encouragement. In fact, in, in some instances, the requirement regularly to engage in these aspects of our spiritual life. So we are to, go to Mass every Holy Day and Sunday, Holy Day of Obligation, we are to receive Holy Communion so frequently, go to confession so frequently, because the Church knows, as the Bride of Christ, that we need this, that we need this regularity, this, this season, the, the regular regular seasons of life to, to keep us in that momentum. Because if that stops, it's much more difficult to get going again than it would have been to just keep going when we were already going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when 
Uh, I, I one of the, on the positive side, like if we talk about this as a two-edged sword, on the positive side, there's a lot of mercy here. Yeah. Right. Like God understands. And and for me, it's are you really that surprised, Tom, <laughs> that you fall short? Really? I mean, come on. And so there, there's a lot of mercy, a lot of favor when we don't deserve it about the fact that we have this human condition. And let's just say that God is not caught off guard about the fact that there are only 27 people in mass. Yeah. Right. And so the question is, is God doing something about it? Is God doing something to actually elevate that human condition to that new creation status so that it's no longer falling asleep in Gethsemane, but it's preaching in front of 3000 and having no fear. And if you're being whipped and you're praising God for the opportunity to be uh, you know, suffer for the sake of the name and ultimately be crucified upside down. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Pentecost. Yeah. And that's where we have just such a desperate need for a personal Pentecost. Yeah. And that I think ultimately is the most important solution is accessing the power that the Lord has already given to us. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, I find I observe that that personal Pentecost um, takes place if we, if if we can get to like we got the men's conference uh, coming up. I believe we got the women's conferences in a couple weekends. No, has it already passed? I'm losing track. No, no, it's coming up. It is coming up. Yeah. All these kinds of things, you know. We talked last week. I just come from the uh, big annual focus uh, conference, uh, Seek. If we get to these things, then there's something about those things that that supercharge us uh, to then re-embrace a thing. And it, it doesn't have to be those things. I, I wonder if this is why. Why is why is Lent of all the liturgical seasons? Lent is like what people seem to look forward to the most because I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, guys. I'm going to do the Exodus 90 they know that there's something about whatever that is that basically is a, is a personal Pentecost. It, it's going to pull us out and we desire it. That's the thing is that we desire it and God is ready to respond and God is there and we desire to respond. So there's this two way pull, uh, but to get out of this and to be reinvigorated in our faith. And um, I've seen this happen. One of my youth group girls, she was kind of a foot and a half out the door faith wise. And then something propelled her to just, volunteer at the summer youth camp and so she did and she came away and she's like the she's like one of the on fire you know seniors of our group as it were um because and it started there so i've seen this happen if we can avail ourselves to kind of look at these things or go to these kind of events then do so let it refuel you i love that it's uh that section in the catechism called the battle of prayer it begins with that line that prayer is both a gift of grace and requires a determined effort it's both. Yeah. And so we cry out for God for that grace of a new Pentecost, personal Pentecost, and we put in the determined effort. Father, thank you so much for being with me today in the program. Thank you, boy. <clears throat> Ta-da. All right. Sorry, that was a little more complicated, but um, it, no. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't throw you off. No.